I'm Jennifer Isabella. And I'm Sharon Lever. Your co-hosts for Forrester's podcast, What It Means, where we explore the major changes in the market influencing executive priorities. If our episode sounds different today, that's because we're recording outside of the studio practicing social distancing. Joining us today are analysts Stephen Casey and Lori Wisdo to discuss the future of B2B buying, specifically how B2B buying has changed and what those changes mean for marketers and sellers. Welcome, Stephen and Lori. Hello, everyone. Glad to be here. Steve, I'm really happy to be discussing this report with you today. So let's start at the highest of levels. How exactly is the B2B buyer behavior changing, or should I say already has changed? I think that's a really good point because buyer behavior has been changing. And I think most of our audience will have noticed different changes over the past few years. And one of the reasons we wrote this report is we feel feel like we've now reached kind of an inflection point because your buyers are adapting to a changing environment. And I'm sure you've seen some of these environmental changes. There's increased access to information. There's a tsunami of content that washes over all of us every day. We've seen demographic changes. Those millennials we've been following forever are now moving from being buying influencers to actually making decisions and will be for the next you know, couple of decades. So that's a significant change in the environment. We continue to see the impact of both frictionless and emotionally appealing and compelling consumer experiences on B2B buyers. That's having an impact on the environment. And then, of course, today we have the fundamental change that that COVID-19 has brought to really be a real catalyst or an accelerant to pushing a lot of these uh, buyer behaviors forward. So that's the changing environment. And what that, again, I'm sure many of you have seen the changing behaviors as a result. Buyers are taking longer to make decisions. They're turning more frequently. They continue to ignore our phone calls and emails. But what we're seeing as the inflection point is really this changing buyer expectation. And it's, it operates at two levels. At the most macro level, what buyers are really telling us is they don't want to be treated as targets any longer. They want to be treated as partners. So that's really what the, I would say at the highest level, sort of the macro point or uh, one of the major thrusts of the research that we've been doing and introduced in this new report, what B2B buyers crave. So you started to talk a bit about how providers should respond. Lori, maybe can you take us a little bit deeper because all that new changing behavior seems I don't know, maybe kind of obvious, but to Stephen's point, it's hitting an inflection point. That must mean a pretty radical shift in how providers are responding. It should drive a very, very fundamental shift. It's kind of interesting because there's been a lot of tactical response to the evolving, changing buyer behavior because it has been changing over a period of time. And so we've been trying to have more short form content to to deal with shorter attention spans. We've been trying to personalize more. Um, but there's there's sort of tactical approaches. And really the, the changing buyer is driving a fundamental shift in the role, the remit, the purpose of, of marketing. And certainly our engagement with, with buyers. And it's no longer to attract, persuade. It's really to engage buyers and help the buyer buy. So to help the buyer through their journey. So to build your engagement strategy now, you really need to, to base it on your buyer's journey. 
um, and not your own internal marketing and your internal sales and CRM processes. Um, in fact, if you think about it, there's really only one relevant process in this engagement with customers, and that's the buyer's journey, the buyer's decision path to making a purchase. And so as, as buyers go through their journey, they engage in a number of different behaviors. They read blogs and white papers, they search for reviews, they talk to salespeople, they, 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 they share and exchange ideas with peers, they explore your website. And that's a lot of different channels um, with a lot of fragmented messaging. And um, increasingly buyers are reacting badly against that disconnected messaging. They want a connected and consistent experience. And, and so one of the things is, is that in terms of vendors and providers responding, one is totally shift your focus from not your processes, but your buyer's journey and realize that your goal is to your purpose is to help the buyer move through that buying journey. And that's really interesting because it, it really takes the idea of sales and marketing alignment, which has been you know, top of mind to marketers for, for a long time. And it kind of breaks that and says, you know, it's not about marketing and sales aligning. It's really about marketing and sales, both calibrating to the, to the customer, to the customer's journey. The buyers still want vendors involved in that process, or are they looking outside of, you know, the vendor landscape to get information? Like what is the nuance or the difference five years ago than today? I think people sometimes over rotate a little bit on the notion of self-service and, and have seen some of the early data regarding adoption of e-commerce, for example, and have extrapolated sort of off into infinity and think that buyers will no longer talk with sales reps and they don't need to engage with, with marketers, that they can conduct the entire journey in a digital fashion. That's just simply not the case. Um, even e-commerce today for B2B, uh, again, being driven by one of those key uh, environmental factors we talked about, consumer experience, is just a little over 20% of all B2B purchases today. And what the data shows us is <laughs> what customers tell us is that the best buying experiences they have are where they have a consultative seller. So it's really those uh, sellers who are thinking in the fashion that we're describing now. It's more consultative and they're bringing more value to the relationship and helping more than simply trying to convince. So I think this is a good time to explore the fact that there isn't one buying journey. There isn't one type of buyer behavior. Depending on the kind of journey, the mix of channels, the mix of human channels and digital channels is highly, highly variable and highly different. And we've been preaching and evangelizing on, on journey marketing, building your engagement strategy around your buyer's journey for a while, for five or six years in my case at least. The idea of journeys has really taken off. Um, in our most recent uh, research uh, into marketing um, tactics and, and behaviors, 73% of B2B respondents told us that they have adopted journey maps, but only 29% said that they, they strongly agreed with a statement that said that they use the buyer's journey as a basis for marketing planning. And, and one of the reasons that there's such a gap between knowing that journeys are good, journey insight is good, and operationalizing them is because it doesn't scale very well. And I hit this realization once about four years ago, and I was talking to a VP of sales enablement who was actually scoffing at the idea that her compatriot VP of marketing had said that they were developing 97 buyer journeys. 
And she was like, how am I going to train my sales reps on 97 buyer journeys? You know, that's a company that was a large company, large global technology company, but even very small companies with a smaller portfolio went into this proliferation of journeys very quickly. So instead of thinking of ways that we could have a meta level model to help understand some of the nuances and differences of buyer journeys, so marketing and sales could build more aligned strategies. And we came up with the device that we call the buying motion matrix, and it's introduced in this What Buyers Crave report. And I'd like you to think of an X-axis and think of a Y-axis. We're going to build a two-by-two grid here. And on the X-axis, things that would move you along the X-axis would be things that make the buying decision more complex, things like the cost, the risk. Is there process change if I have to to get value out of what I'm buying? Uh, How many people are involved? So those are things that kind of move you to the right on the buying complexity x-axis. On the y-axis, the things that would move you from the bottom to the top are things like the buyer's familiarity with the solution. So if you have that as your kind of matrix and you, you make a two, two by two grid out of that, we identified four different buying motions. And it's a device marketers can use to quickly identify the differences. The four motions, by the way, are acquisition. On the other end of the scale is transformation. That is something that is disruptive, new. I don't know a lot about it. It might be white space. Improvement. Improvement is more, I know what this is. I might have bought it before. I have a team of people looking after this particular process. They are always, there's a budget to improve it. And then the fourth one is reaction, where I really don't know a lot about the decision I need to make, but I need to make it fast. What we found working with this buying motions matrix over the last uh, several years is that um, Frankly, we haven't seen a situation where when you look at your portfolio and stop thinking about it as what we sell and start thinking about what our buyer is buying and why, you realize that there's a lot of different context and you actually should be thinking about a number of different buying motions and, and building engagement strategies to successfully engage in all those different buying motions. So let's use that matrix as a bit of a foil then. So if we if we take that and we understand that there's these different buying scenarios, um, which I think is an important um, added layer to this because obviously every situation is different. If we use that as a foil, what do we put on top of that, right? We we talked about changing buyer behavior, but what does that translate into in terms of, okay, I'm selling something, what are the things I should do? What do I need to layer into those different buyer motions to make sure that I'm creating this situation where my buyer feels like I'm partnering with them and helping them through the process as you both um, articulated earlier. Let me take this one, Sharon. So what we're seeing is really that to connect back to where I started with this sort of uber expectation of the buyer to be treated as an equal partner uh, in, in the process. What Lori explained was a lot of the Uh, understanding of the buyer motion and uh, really why what's happening. Um, What I think is missing and what I want to kind of fill in the blanks here is the connection between the two, right? So what's the buyer's motivation? What are their expectations in each motion? And they will vary. What we found in our research on this topic was that there are really four different distinct types of expectations that buyers have today. The first is for increasing openness. There's a a much greater demand for transparency. That can take the form of pricing on your website, for example, or maybe sharing more of your roadmap, even with not only with your customers, but potentially with your prospects. 
What the data showed us, really what's driving this, is that it's kind of a steep hill to climb for most providers because when we asked buyers uh, what had the most influence on your purchase and decision-making process, uh, fewer than 10% actually said that the promises that vendors make to them about how they can solve their problems uh, was, was significant. So there's a lot of work to be done there. The second expectation is a notion of what we call connectedness. You can think of it as collaboration. Buyers certainly want to, uh, uh, in this equal partnership, they want to have a sense that we've built a set of shared goals and we're working toward them together. But it also means being connected out in the broader buyer ecosystem. Uh, just as you connect with people in your lives who matter to you, your partners in your own personal lives, you connect with their extended networks. We need to be, as providers, connected with the extended networks of our buyers, uh, primarily uh, other peers, other customers, because that's really, if they don't trust us, as we just talked about, uh, don't trust providers, they do trust their peers. So we need to be connected there. The third expectation is for what we call intuitiveness. And it's kind of an interesting phrase, but think in terms of intuitive product experience. You're able to navigate through a product and get to a goal because it's logical and natural. Buyers have the same expectation of all their experiences with you. It's not just product experience, but pre, pre and post purchase as well. So we need to demonstrate our empathy, our commitment to them by delivering relevant content. Again, this is another area where the data shows we have a long way to go. Uh, in fact, when we asked about content, certainly one of the key areas in demonstrating that empathy and understanding of the buyer throughout their journey, uh, how well of a job we're doing delivering uh, relevant and intuitive content, um, nearly two-thirds say that uh, most of the content we deliver is frankly useless. So again, uh, a fair amount of work to be done there. And then finally, uh, there's an, a much increased expectation of immediacy. This is where we're seeing probably the biggest impact of consumer experiences. So obviously, uh, e-commerce plays a role here. So those are four expectations. And what I want to do now is connect those. Let's talk about how they connect to the four buying motions. And I'll just give you two examples. If you think of that sort of transformation buy, where the buyer doesn't know a lot about what they're buying, they have a sense of business need. It might have been a, a buying process that's been set in motion by an executive. Uh, so there'll be early sales engagement. Marketing will certainly find the opportunity, but there'll be early sales enga engagement. They'll be looking for really collaborative experiences. There'll be lots of education that needs to happen. If you think of the other three expectations, this is not a motion where immediacy is really all that important. They're not going to be looking up pricing <laughs> to transform their business. Uh, and it's unlikely that they're going to, you know, buy a tool or consulting services uh, over the web to do that through an e-commerce purchase. At the other end of the spectrum, what Lori described as that acquisition motion, that where the buyer knows a lot about what they're buying, here they will value immediacy. This is one where e-commerce will play a role. So I hope you can see the connection to from motion to expectation to tactic, where you really need to emphasize. Where are we in the maturity of B2B providers taking these new behaviors or, you know, maybe existing behaviors, digesting that, understanding what the new set of expectations are. Is this early days right now? I think we've been seeing growing awareness 
of the need to make these kinds of fundamental changes. I don't know, I don't think the awareness is fully aware of how fundamental the changes are, but I, I definitely think whereas five years ago, we were evangelizing about being customer obsessed and customer centric and, and, you know, and building your engagement strategies around buyer's journeys. Now people are saying, how, how do I do that? They're, they're, you know, so that's a level of maturity in terms of the mindset shift has been made and some tactical things have been, have been done. Like it's like random acts of, of good marketing, like the fact that 73% of our marketers have adopted buyer journey maps but only 29% are actually using them to build a marketing strategy. So I think we're at a really interesting point where now it's marketing is going to transform. We know it, we, we know what we need to do. And it, it breaks down to a number of different pivots. And I think we're very early in the stages of knowing, understanding what those pivots are, uh, how we're gonna have to change organizationally, how our processes are gonna have to change, uh, how we should be using technology differently, what, what different kinds of skills and talents do we need? So very early stages of understanding how to operationalize the mindset shift that I think has broadly already taken hold. I agree completely, Laurie. Uh, my observation in, in working with clients is that they recognize individual changes in buyer behavior, but don't understand that or lose sight of the fact that these are not discrete, they're really connected. That's the whole point of the research we're now offering. They ladder up to uh, an expectation of being equal partnership. And you'll notice we've used a lot of kind of personal and, and emotionally laden language in this. And, and that is for a reason and for a purpose. What I find in engaging with clients, when the light bulb tends to go off is when I can relate back to what is happening in their personal lives, whether it's when you're talking about, you know, the need for connectedness uh, in your personal life and your professional life as well, connecting with uh, everyone in the buying team, the same way you connect with uh, your partner's extended friends and family network, uh, even down to silly tactical things like, you know, how easy it is to find information about uh, pricing, right, when you're making a consumer purchase or the wish to remain anonymous when people are engaging in dating sites, right? and helping people understand that, well, your customers want to do the same thing. They want to establish trust with you before they raise a hand because they know what some of the, some of the let's call it less sophisticated or less customer-centric marketing tactics will, you know, if you raise your hand, you're going to be tortured to death with endless emails and potentially phone calls before you're really ready for that, that level of involvement with, with a, a potential provider. So to me, one of the key pieces has been connecting the dots for people. And often the best way to do that is to, to think and ask them to reflect back on their own expectations in their personal lives. Yeah, I mean, one of the things that I've noticed in reading this research, to your point, Stephen, is the language used here is not corporate speak. And I'm just wondering if part of the mind shift is also B2B marketers realizing that they're marketing to human beings and not corporations, or obviously, you know, not just a person, but a group of people, that kind of mind shift is playing a role here as well. Absolutely. I've been a B2B marketer forever and I, you know, I love being a B2B marketer. We do things that, you know, change worlds and industries, but I will admit there's a lot that B2B marketers can learn from B2C marketers in creating an emotional connection with their buyers because I know certainly in my career, I always thought it was kind of a rational process 
but I did some research on this recently and, and uh, had a conversation with a branding expert in New York, and he put it very, very well, and this has stuck with me ever since, that there's nothing more emotional than, than making a, uh, a big-ticket B2B purchase where you could lose your career if you make the wrong decision, right? Or if you're a relatively small startup, you could tank your company if you choose the wrong, you know, sort of foundational platform. So maybe overstating the case to say there's nothing more emotional. Certainly there are plenty of decisions we make in our personal lives that are equally emotional, but there is an emotional component to B2B buying that I think we as B2B marketers have for too long ignored and, and just uh, kind of poo-pooed. As you were speaking, Steve, it, it really strikes me as that emotion is a funny word because emotion makes us think of happy, sad, but trust is an emotional-based condition. And I think that what I'm seeing is that um, marketers, B2B marketers need to start realizing that they have a role in, in building trust with the buyer. There's been more, I think, a little bit too much transactional perspective on let's attract the right kind of targeted audience to our website, let's qualify them, let's provide them, let's nurture them, but nurturing is all too often just like drip marketing on steroids. And then let's get them to the sales organization where the emotional stuff of partnership and trust will come in. And that's not, that's not a viable approach anymore. First of all, in all those buying motions, marketers have more responsibility for engagement throughout the entire journey, throughout the entire life cycle. And because we are responsible for the digital engagement and that, that portion is, is increasing. And what we're seeing is that increasingly for a buyer to move through the journey with a particular vendor, they need to trust that that vendor is going to be a partner, that that vendor will help them be successful. Because as Steve just said, these are significant decisions we make as business buyers. In terms of closing the conversation, wondering what the next steps would be for B2B providers and marketers specifically, what is their next action? What I would hope the impact of this report is, and what people do when they see it, is to understand the buying motions, to think about the context in which the product is bought. Um, you know, talk to the sales reps, talk to the service organizations about how the product delivers value as well, product or service, and, and really real, realize that we, we don't just have the portfolio of product and service we think we have. We really have a portfolio of what we would call go-to-customer offerings, but they are, we really have a portfolio of solutions, and those solutions are very different, and map those solutions into the buying motion matrix, because that's a lens that you can think about, okay, what's the right mix of digital versus human? What's my, um, what kind of content do I need? What kind of event strategy do I need? Um, who am I targeting? Because the same product for a different motion might be a different stakeholder. And, and just start thinking about teasing apart this monolithic go-to market strategy and come up with more granular and more targeted and more buyer-centric, buyer-aware um, go-to-customer strategies. That's a great place to start. And obviously, in doing that work and understanding the buyer motion, you need to understand their motivations as well, their expectations. That's really the key to then optimizing your engagement. So reviewing again and, and really thinking deeply about which of the four major expectations in terms of openness, immediacy, connectedness, 
and um, intuitiveness are most important to your buyers. Once you've thought that through and have a clear picture, then you can really put the wood behind the arrow for specific tactics that support and meet those expectations. Great. Thank you both for joining us today. Well, it was a pleasure to work on this research and um, a pleasure to discuss it as well. So thank you, everybody. Thank you. If you like what you heard today, subscribe to Forrester's What It Means podcast on iTunes, Google Play, and Spotify, or your favorite podcast player. To continue the conversation, follow Forrester on Twitter and LinkedIn. Thanks for listening.